And welcome to Crosstalk on the CGMRadio.com network, where we bring together the hosts of the CGM Radio Network together to discuss the hottest issues of today. And with me, Bob Siegel of The Bob Siegel Show, Jim Barrier with the Since You Asked podcast. I'm Ryan Holland, host of World News Brief, and I'm also now host of another show. And we have a fourth spectacular individual with us. His name is Daryl Youngblood, and he along with Dr. Melissa Travis, who is not with us tonight, but I'm hoping will be on a future episode of Crosstalk, are hosting a brand new show called Faith, Reason, Culture. Daryl, welcome. Uh, welcome. I want to say welcome to the CGM Radio Network. We did a couple shows like over a year right. ago, but uh, but we're, we're back. Uh, we're back. Back with a vengeance, back and better, better than ever. So, uh, Daryl, uh, welcome to Crosstalk. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, I guess we wanted to to start off. Uh, wanted to start off just to um, let's uh, to learn a little bit about you, uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, just talking for a minute about your your background, uh, your journey. You had a, you've done some pretty cool stuff in the past. You're doing some pretty cool stuff now on top of faith, reason, culture. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, tell the audience a bit about yourself. So yeah, I was uh, a musician most of my life, and so I've been playing music. Was signed kind of uh, to a record deal at a right out of college, and I uh, I've that's pretty much all I've known most of my life. Uh, you know, we had three different record deals. We've had two in the Christian music industry, and had some decent success with that. Th- after those years, I eventually got into kind of morphed into being a music producer, and had a lot of success with that as well as far as you know making money as being a producer and doing something you love as an artist and later on down the line i got into ministry i kind of uh, had this opportunity to put the skills that i kind of learned as a music producer and also i had started developing some video skills and i got called by my pastor to do some apologetics and i created um, what's called rational defense of faith, RDOF, uh, in 2014. And that was kind of like this mix of everything I do. It, it was the music production, the video production, uh, the motion graphics and apologetics all into one. And, and we kind of turn it into these big events that we do where we have videos and lights and, and with just a different take more of an artist take on apologetics to try to use the the media to keep people engaged so we have a lot of high impact media uh, the idea is to to make an, an exciting presentation kind of almost feel we feel like the the whole academic approach to apologetics is well covered there's many great apologists out there so kind of created this as as kind of a departure from that and a, a little bit different take maybe something that you you know people that aren't apologetics type junkies, I guess you could say, are interested in that niche that they would go and just be able to sit through an hour and a half of some of the same strong arguments, but presented in a little bit different way. So I got involved in that and that's going really well. And then of course, you know, uh, through that, I got to meet you and Melissa and we've created this new podcast, Faith, Reason, Culture. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it, We've done episode three and four now, so three is released right now. You can download it, and I encourage you guys to do it. Go to cgmradio.com, 
click on the Faith, Reason, Culture banner there, and you can find out uh, how to subscribe. You can look up Faith, Reason, Culture in your favorite podcasting app. You can get it there as well. Also, it is a video show, so it is on YouTube. So if you go to go to our podcast page at cgmradio.com, you can get the click on the link to go over to YouTube. And you can watch the show that way if you prefer that as well. So it's it's real exciting. But I wanted to ask you what what originally uh, got a a rock star type guy like yourself uh, into apologetics. How'd you go from from that world to the apologetics world, to where you're really I mean you're arguing I mean in a large way from the stuff that I've seen on a on a highly scientific level. So that to me that's kind of a fascinating journey. How did you how did you go from from A to B? Well, a lot of people don't know. So I, of course, was a musician, as I'd said, growing up. But at the same time, I grew up with a scientist, my father. And he was, you know, I, I brag about him all the time. He actually passed away in 2007. But he was the smartest person I've ever known. He was, uh, he had a PhD in organic chemistry, a master's in physics. He was only in college for five years. So he was a different type uh, of you know wow he was an, kind of a higher kind of a higher level thinking person most of the time so he didn't traditionally do the things that most of us do for leisure you know when where we would go see a movie or we go shoot some pool he would get and read books and and get together with other phds and think you know so that well <laughs> he it was that time wasn't and I, didn't you get to get in on some of that as, as, a, as a younger man you, hanging out with all these phds as i was talking. just surrounded by that in my home, I was always surrounded by that, which, you know, several that set up several things in my life. First of all, I never, these were all strong Christians. So we always had PhDs and scientists around my life. And it never occurred to me that there was some conflict between faith because these were just brilliant people and they never had a problem with them. We're talking about organic chemists and people who understand biology. And there were never, there was never, a discussion of some kind of a conflict between science and faith. And so, you know, once I kind of got out of the house and, and got into the real world, I started to hear, you know, arguments uh, in a lot of strong atheistic YouTube channels. And, and I was kind of exposed to this and it kind of hit me. So naturally I just kind of would try to defend, you know, uh, myself now through this process, you know, this all started, uh, in the late 2000s, 2007, 2008, through that process, my dad actually passed away. And when I was kind of going through this journey. And so I was kind of, you know, well, of the impression, well, this, you know, I can just defend with this stuff. I mean, I know I grew up with, with a, a scientist who never saw a conflict. But when I went to defend myself and defend my faith, I, I kind of got online on some forums and, you know, and how it works on the Internet arguments and, and that sort of thing. I, I actually wasn't able to hold my own and I kind of left there with my tail between my legs. And, you know, it was, it's a very, very in Ryan, you would know this. It's a very, very volatile uh, world, Indeed. a lot of anger. And, and I was pretty much a lamb to the slaughter when I went to try to defend my faith in, in, uh, in that world. So I was like, you know, I've got to figure this out. So I actually really went on a journey and, you know, kind of embraced that, that scientific part of me that was kind of imparted from my father and started really learning this stuff and reading, you know, not just the Christian literature, but 
you know, all of the books that were out at the time from Richard Dawkins and you know, the God delusion and Christopher Hitchens and all of the big new atheist books. I read all of those and I got rigorous about the science. I got actually, you know, not just, not just the idea of evolution, but learning about the processes, you know, that undergird evolution and, you know, polyadenylation and how DNA synthesis works and really, really kind of geeky stuff that my dad used to talk about. And I used to tell him that, you know, I'm a rock star. We don't need to talk about that stuff. Right. I was actually <laughs> learning about this stuff and kind of absorbing it and really trying to understand, you know, what, you know, how the process works and, and understand physics and, you know, cosmology. And, and I just really, really jumped in hardcore for about four years. And as I got the heavier, I got into the science, I began to see what Warner Heisenberg was talking about when he said that at the first glance of the natural sciences, you're going to get turned into an atheist, but at the bottom of that glass, God is waiting for you. Mm. And my dad, my dad had obviously sipped from the bottom of that glass as, as did the many scientists that he hung out with. And it wasn't until I really got hardcore and studied this stuff for years and really looked for answers that I kind of saw what Heisenberg was talking about to where once you get it, get past the popular level science and the, you know, the words of the day and, you know, the, the statements that you hear on YouTube and the one liners, once you actually dig into science past words, like just evolution um, and you look at processes, you start to realize, wow, there's a lot more going on here that than that's being discussed. And certainly there's no way you can make some broad brush stroke statement by saying that this somehow rules out a creator or a designer. And if we look at the evidence and we're honest with ourselves and we use what we all inherently know as being the results of cause and effect, we use our innate sense of understanding how things work in the world and we apply that to what we see in the evidence and biology, it doesn't, there's not just this knockdown drag out case that there's no creator. And as you look at it more and more, there's evidence for that. And I always ask, you know, what would we expect to see in nature if say the universe had been created? Well, what we see in science is exactly what we'd expect to see. And that was kind of where I, I started. And then, so through that, uh, you know, that's kind of like the, the, the answer to the question of how my father and how I got into apologetics, I started doing that and my pastor caught wind that I was having these debates and I would tell him about the goods and the bads. And he's finally like, well, you know, why don't you start a class at the church? You know, why don't you start trying to do something with that to help people? And, you know, so I, I tried it. I said yes, reluctantly. And literally within a week of saying that and kind of starting this, I was face to face personally with one of the leading YouTube atheists at a rally that they had come to. And I was suddenly went from nothing and, and not really knowing, you know, other than just being on the internet late at night to actually <laughs> standing and representing apologetics and Christians in an actual real world debate. And so it was on. And then we started RDOF, which is rational defense of faith. We started doing events. They started growing and we're just going to continue to pursue it. It's, it's been going crazy. I'm trying to keep up with it. And, 
you know, we're going to just keep doing it. Yeah, no, that that's fantastic. I don't, it, Bob, Jim, if there's any anything you want to throw in or any anything you have to questions for Daryl or anything like that, feel free to. Feel one free to. one uh, story that comes to my mind, a, a true story, because I used to work with an organization called Campus Ambassadors, and they were billing me not as an apologist but as an evangelist, of which apologetics was one of several things I did, and the other thing that I was doing was writing and, and performing as one man shows these, these dramas. And it was interesting because they, they reached different kinds of people. And I completely agree that through the arts, you're going to reach a whole different kind of person. And you can still be making statements about truth that are very apologetic in nature. We used to call it the, the soft apologetic. It was just right. a term we were using back then, but I'll never forget a time where somebody who'd been, an atheist who'd been following my ministry during the week, doing lectures, outdoor open forums, debates. And after one of the debates, he made an appointment with me and he says, I want to get together with you and talk about some of the things you're saying about archaeology, because I'm an archaeology major and I'm having some real issues. But in the meantime, he then saw one of my dramas called The Dust of Eden, which was about life and death and but it was very emotional and told from the point of view of a, a, a person and their family. And it just, it had romance, it had humor, but it had, had a lot of emotion. What was the, I was curious, I was thinking, boy, after he sees that drama, I wonder if we're going to have a whole different conversation tomorrow than the one he wants to have. And when we sat down in the university center, he said, I came with a whole list of archeology span questions, but I actually don't want to talk about any of them. I want to talk about the play. <laughs> and and I think it was a much better conversation in his case. And that's why this gets back to a point I like to make a lot. It's not one size fits all with God. Different yeah, people yeah. respond to different things. And in this particular case, uh, even though I had been saying some things about archaeology in the debate, here was a case where the drama made much more of a difference. So I love this idea of integrating both sides, the academia and the emotional artistic side and, and without them, without viewing them as mutually exclusive things. Absolutely. You know, that's the reason that people, I would say that one of the reasons that actors have the power they do politically is because of what you're saying. People are connected to them in a way that they're not connected to a lot of people that lecture because of the power of mixing artistry and, and statement. And, you know, that's, that's why, you know, when I was a music producer, you know, we all knew some songs growing up that if you said the lyrics to somebody, they were either really stupid when you heard the lyrics by themselves, or they were really like derogatory towards women. But when you heard them in a song, everybody would sing along <laughs> and mm -hmm. people would remember these songs, even if the lyrics were terrible. You know, and we all learned that. And what it was is because you were infusing a message with art. And, and you know, there's a lot of learning programs that do that. They People are able to have, you know, use, I don't know if you remember from the early 90s, but these mega memory, um, the, I forget, I think it was Kevin Trudeau or one of these guys, you know, some of the processes that these people did for mega memory were when they attached it to a media music or art. And, you know, we all know ABCs are like that. And so, yeah, I agree with you. When you when you put media along with uh, dialogue, you you can go you can go places that you normally wouldn't, and reach people that you normally wouldn't. 
Yeah, and some of these actors say such intelligent things on the screen and such idiotic yeah. things off the screen. <laughs> and that's because we're really listening to their writers on the screen. We're listening to their writers. Their credit, yeah, their yeah. acting is so good that they're making it. It's and the score behind it, which makes it sound oh so much more Oh, my gosh. Well, we were talking about well, yes, music you. is the universal language. And if you have a good yeah. score. I yeah. remember when I saw the Attack of the Clones, the second in the Star Wars prequel. And even though Natalie Portman's a good actress, not even she can save a line like, I truly, deeply love you. <laughs> and yet the music, the melancholy music in the background by yeah. John Williams was one of the most beautiful scores I'd ever heard in my life. I, I can't go so far as to say that it saved the scene, but it almost did. Yeah, uh, music, music has such an impact on, on everything. And I've seen um, experiments done or people have done projects where they take a scene and just change the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And it goes from being terrifying to being a comedy. Yes. Just, yeah. yeah. Music will dictate the mood. And, you know, we all... We all know that, uh, you know, music tells us there's there's some imminent danger coming up when every time, know it. you know, it's yeah. And so that that's that's what's great about this is being able to take that, you know, that part of it and and help, you know, get the message and make it more relatable. And and, you know, people will engage in it longer for that reason as yeah. well. Uh, yeah. Daryl, I wanted to ask you, what is the the what is the near future look like for RDO Web, obviously, with COVID and all of that? packed houses of you know uh of uh, you know doing your presentation what's the future of it with cancel culture yeah well yeah that yeah. that's true but so but what do you have on on the horizon for rdof are you are you trying to rev up to get events going again are you just sticking with focusing online right now what's the uh what yeah, are you trying to do been, i've been we've been talking about starting to talk about events but you know the blessing that we had is our events had grown they had grown to where, you know, every last one we had was uh, over capacity. They were packed. They were we were having awesome. them. And so that makes a huge logis logistical issue when it comes to COVID. And, you know, we don't want to be responsible for something that, you know, where people can possibly get sick. And so you'd have to follow all that. And there's no way we could have them at the venue with, that we had them with the amount of people with the current COVID situation. We just wouldn't be able to do that. So we're trying to figure out ways to do that. And also, you know, to be able to have resources for people that need this. And th there's a lot of people that have asked me about doing events and we're trying to figure out, I mean, I'm speaking at our church and, you know, that's, that's one way, but uh, yes. So we are pursuing that, but at the same time, I, we, our online presence has really been, that's been a, a concentration and we've had a lot of people uh, a lot of growth on Facebook. And so I've been concentrating lately on creating animated single videos about certain points. And I'm working on a few right now to where it's a resource that we can have and make available to people that are based on one of, you know, one particular question and have an animated video rather than just a lecture, but an animated video that kind of helps answer that question and gives them some nuggets of, you know, they, they can use in a conversation and makes it relatable, you know, by the way we do the media. And so I'm, I'm working on that as well. And we also have been picked up by some major networks, uh, which has been really cool. So uh, in the last, uh, I guess, month, we've been picked up by Overcomers TV. And now we have play on God TV through and through Roku and forget what some of the other avenues are. So we've, we've actually seen a lot of play and, 
video video plays through some of these outlets. Fantastic! Wow, that's 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 incredible. So hope you know it, it's amazing. There are there are a lot of streaming services uh, that are being done by Christian production companies that are yeah. open up. Uh, there's there's a big hunger for that because uh, there's you know a lot of people are not real happy with the the big kind of mega streaming services mm-hmm. right now. So that is that is really cool to see. Uh, so tell us just real quick, faith, reason, culture, the podcast. Uh, what what is that about? And then. Uh, we're, we have some exciting news for Jim Barrier after that because he's got a uh, he's got a pretty cool thing coming out tomorrow. But but first, Dale, just give give us kind of an idea of faith, reason, culture, and what what that's about, and maybe what we hope to accomplish. I might chime in a little as well since I'm a part of it. But uh, absolutely, yeah, share a little about the podcast if you would. Well, first of all, you know anybody who's in apologetics, uh, if, who's in the scene, as I mentioned before would probably know the name Dr. Melissa Kane Travis. She's somewhat of a celebrity in this world. And I had the honor of being approached by both you guys. I guess it was an idea that you guys had, which you might be able to kind of jump in on this a little bit. Sure. Um, that had been, I guess both of you individually were kind of thinking about this, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll do the quick, quick history. So, Daryl and I met at HBU Apologetics Day in 2019. William Lane Craig was there. I was stalking William Lane Craig for sure because how often do you get to be in the same room with William Lane Craig? And so was I. So yeah, was you I. were too. Okay, you were too. Yeah, and uh, and so it was it was a really neat opportunity. Daryl and I got to talking and we just swapped info. And I was at that point. I was just really starting the network. I had been doing Mideast News Brief, which is now World News Brief. I had been doing that for a few months. But uh, but I knew it was going to be bigger than that, that it was going to become a network. And after meeting Daryl and learning about his ministry, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like maybe Daryl could do a podcast on CGM radio. That would be a dream come true. You know, and I'm like, sure, there's no way there's no way he'll want to do anything with me. But dang, maybe I should try. And um, we, we actually talked about it, I think, uh, we, a little bit at, a, at another apologetics conference a month later. But so this was like in July of 2019. Um, I, had, I had met Melissa as well. And about July 2019, uh, Melissa sent me a message over Facebook Messenger and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. Do you know Daryl Youngblood? And I'm like... Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, this is that's the very guy I was like hoping and praying would do a show on the network. And here, Melissa, this uh, accomplished apologist, academic professor, is messaging me about you know the the two of them doing a doing a show on my network. And I'm, I I really couldn't believe what I was seeing. I I took it immediately as a confirmation from God that you know this was something that was supposed to happen. And so that that's kind of the backstory. And then from there, the three of us got together, and then that developed into into faith, reason, culture. So it was a real. I mean, the the kind of happenstance, the coincidence of it, uh, really right. made me want to do a coincidence. You know, like on Hans- <laughs> like on Handsome Dancer, where you. <laughs> thrust your shoulder forward. Man. I was I was so excited. I almost started waiting to say that. I almost started all day to say that. I, I have. I've I've had that one right up there, Daryl. And I said, yeah. I gotta use the coincidence uh, line. But but no, it was uh so that was so that was so that was really cool. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 the kind of thing, you know, it's faith, reason, culture. So we're taking the, you know, what's going on, the the big topics in the culture and so forth and, you know, looking at them from a from the 
you know, from a Christian viewpoint and, and also discussing the, the intellectual side of that, right, Daryl? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, how do you, how to address? That's what I love about it is, is the, the first thing is that we are not afraid to address the hot topics in culture. And I think it's important. And, and having Melissa and having the different perspectives that we have, I feel like we have the opportunity to inform it from different, from different angles and to approach it not just from a cultural perspective and not just from a Christian perspective, but from a philosophical perspective, from a logical perspective. And that, that's kind of the, the dream of the podcast is to be able to take these topics and really kind of suss them out and discuss them and kind of put them through some of the laws of logic. And then also, you know, see how they pertain to other, other parts of our faith and how they pertain to, you know, the truth of scripture. And so it's really fun and, and it's, it's an opportunity. We've only been able to do a few podcasts, but you know, every time we do they, they're, they're a blast. Oh, they, they are. I have a lot of fun just uh, getting to watch the, the magic of, of Melissa and Daryl kind of c- come out uh, is, is really cool and, and a huge blessing to be a part of. Well, make sure to head to cgmradio.com, subscribe to the show. You can look up Faith, Reason, Culture in your favorite podcasting app, get it that way as well. And also while you're there, make sure you're signed up for the Bob Siegel Show, Since You Asked. And speaking of Since You Asked, Jim, you've got some big news for us. You have uh, a big release coming out tomorrow. Please do tell. Nice segue. Hey, you know what? Um, yeah. I-, I make the big bucks for a reason, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Good man. Uh, I, no, I have a book. Uh, it's scheduled to come out tomorrow on uh, uh, Amazon Kindle. You can do the ebook and you can also get a, a hard copy in print. And it's actually a booklet. Um, it's my first attempt at this uh, type of thing. And the title of the book is Discovering and Developing Your Five Spiritual Senses. And I was speaking one morning, uh, Daryl, I, I pastored a church. I retired a year ago yesterday, and two weeks later, the whole world shut down uh, with COVID. <laughs> but um, I had all of this time, and, and uh, so I've been doing some writing. And, and it, it started one Sunday morning. I had mentioned just in, in my message about how we, we perceive information in this uh, natural world through the five senses. And on the way home, that little still small voice said, have you considered that there are five spiritual senses? And certainly, you know, we've heard about having vision. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, those kind of things. And we talk about hearing the voice of God. So um, those things have been touched on, but I just kind of dug in a little more and did some studying and research and and found that the scripture is full of things that talk about a, a spiritual, not only spiritual eyesight, but spiritual hearing, spiritual sense of taste, the spiritual sense of smell, and even a spiritual sense of touch. And so that's what the book is about. And it's um, some of it is just kind of opening up and and, uh, suggesting to people that these are real things that are part of their life. But then there's some exercises and things to do uh, to kind of help develop that in your own life. So that's what the book is. And now uh, a year into this whole thing, uh, the book is actually going to be the third part of a trilogy. Uh, <laughs> I know it's backwards, but Bob Murray, for, you know, the Star Wars thing, they've done that. You can do them backwards if it's good enough for George Lucas, you know. Um, so I'll have a couple more. They're actually finished. I just have to get them edited and then go through the publishing process and all of that. So kind of excited about this chapter of my life and 
being on uh, CGM radio uh, and and uh, the podcast, these things are crosstalk is a lot of fun for me because I'm meeting people. Daryl, I'm really excited, by the way, uh, just to, to get acquainted with your work. And I'll be stalking you now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm very fascinated with this. With this, and and uh, I met Bob Siegel uh, many we, years ago. Do we have to change the name of the program to Cross Stock instead? Of <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, that's okay. why Bob makes the big bucks, that's, right? You can do a coincidence dance. I can do a Cross. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, you know, I, I coined now. the term uh, in, uh, for recently for one of these things, uh, paradoxology, <laughs> and uh, which is that there are paradoxes. Uh, in, in the faith, in the scriptures, and they're part of our uh, expression of worship and faith. So I have paradoxology. So we, wow. you know, you, yeah, you yeah, like stuff doxology. all day. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about what you're doing, and I, I want to get more acquainted with your work. Thank you. And I have a question for you. Uh, you mentioned uh, doing uh, animated videos. Do you do your own animation, or do you have an animator, uh, uh, an artist that uh, you work with? It's funny, when I first started and I had this vision, I didn't do video and we had a friend do the promo for it and he did such a great job. And then we had an event and it was awesome. And then I'm like, okay, we got to do this. And he's like, I'm not doing any more videos. <laughs> so I mean, I, yeah, and I, I knew that God had called me to do it. So I literally just prayed and learned and then just said, I have to, you know, if this is going to happen, there's nobody else around. I'm going to have to learn it. And so I did. And so now, yeah, I do all of it. I've had and, and, that, ever since the very guys, first like, video. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and and no, guys, you know, oh, go ahead, Jim. Well, Daryl was saying that he, he grew up surrounded by scientists. Yeah. I've grown up uh, and all of my life, I've been surrounded by artists and musicians. And um, if you go to my Facebook thing, half of my friends are there, they're either artists or musicians. And those are the people that have, you know, kind of rubbed off on me. I, I don't think I have uh, developed enough of that. I'm, I'm not as gifted as some of these people, but I, I love the mind of the artist, whether, um, you know, it's a musician or a painter or a sculptor. Uh, and I see God's DNA in that personally, you know, created in the image of the creator and they get very creative and, um, uh, I, I just, I'm fascinated with people who, who have a brain that works that way and they can express things um, through the arts. And, and I'm very excited about what you're doing. I think it has a tremendous potential. There's an audience out there. Um, just like we're talking, Bob was talking about how music can change the whole feel of a scene in a film and uh, the arts can absolutely impact a person and draw them into uh, a bigger spiritual kingdom and a, a more of an awareness of God. And, and I, I believe that with all my heart. And so I've been very careful to not try to alienate people because a lot, and, and you've seen this, I'm sure, a lot of musicians, artists, and uh, Hollywood actors um, tend to be uh, resistant towards a typical Christianity. Um, and I think there's something in there about the, they have to think outside of the box. So I've been saying think outside the sphere because thinking outside the box is kind of old and, yeah. you know, and, and there is curved geometry. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and they uh, they don't like to be boxed in or trapped in. And so there's kind of a thing that goes along with being creative. It's like, 
don't tell me how to live or what I have to feel or what's right or wrong. I, it, it, it hampers my creativity. I think there's some, there's something connected in there with, with a lot of those folks. And so I've always tried to find creative ways. When I see someone who works in the arts or any of those things, I'll say, you know, I love what you do because it reminds me of my creator and your ability to take something abstract and then make it relevant to a person's life is very much like the God that I serve. So uh, I'm real excited about about uh, getting getting acquainted with Daryl here, and wow. and uh, just gonna say a minute ago, I met Bob Siegel. How many years ago was that, Bob? 16, 18 years ago. I don't know. Um, we met in the year two thousand six. Okay, well then, fifteen. I years was ago. on your I was on your radio show. In well, Texas you came to San Antonio. Good debate. Yeah. Yeah, he came. He came to San Antonio on Easter Sunday to debate an atheist. And uh, a mutual friend of ours, a missionary a friend, called me and he said, you know, I've got a friend. He's coming to San Antonio. We don't know anybody else. Uh, could you get maybe a couple of people from your church just to come down and sit in the audience and pray while he's having this debate? And we did that. And it started a wonderful long-term relationship. And we do radio together. And, and uh, so I, I hope that this will uh, open up and develop into a long-term relationship relationship. Uh, with daryl as well I'm, I'm very excited about that likewise thank you oh yeah no no question no doubt that it will okay i have a question also so this is this is for everybody but uh, especially our two apologists here uh, where does the role of conscience and altruism fit into your uh ministry or expression how how do you deal with those things because I, I have a friend who's an atheist he's a psychiatrist he's really a brilliant guy but First time you met me, he said, I just want you to know that I don't believe in God. And I think all we are is just so much chemicals and, you know, electronic energy and blah, 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 blah. And, and I, we talked and I said, well, how do you explain the sense of wrong and right that seems to be innate in the human condition, even if it, it may change from one tribe to another, but they, everybody has some standards. And, and where do we get that appreciation for what's wrong and right? And he said, that's a good question. <laughs> so where, does, where do you guys uh, deal with that? How do you deal with that? And how do you use that? Anybody? Bob? You want to go first, Daryl? Well, well, you know what, what comes to mind is I, I know there was a big blogger, uh, Leah Vanesco, I forget. She was a big atheist blogger. And she was a very intelligent girl. Mm -hmm. And she ran head on into the question you're talking about. And she began to study how is it that we know wrong or right? How do, is it that we know what is good or what is evil? And so, first of all, when you think about it, that is, that is something an intelligent person, if they think about it, even for a short period of time, should be asking. Because mm -hmm. it's not something that can just be a given. You know, it can't just be a properly basic belief if you think about it. And, you know, people like Friedrich Nietzsche and, and these guys, they ran head on into that and it caused insanity and, and, and it led logically to them to nihilism, that there is no morality, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we see with Friedrich Nietzsche. So this girl, Leia, ran into this head on and she eventually realized, she said that morality is something that we discover, we don't create it. And if we discover it, where did it come from? And and this led her, this one subject led her to become a Christian. And she she mm -hmm. abandoned her atheist blog and she's a sold out Christian. 
And it was wow. What was her name again? Leah Leah Ben. I'll find it. We'll we'll post it on the because I'm probably butchering her last name. What a cool testimony. And I will I'll get it to you so you can put the uh, the link there. That's a great story. And when you realize how different her last name is from what I'm saying, uh, maybe she can forgive me. But anyway. It was very powerful. And, and yeah. so that is, that is, you know, and there's a moral argument based on that fact to where, you know, it's, if there isn't what's called, you know, everybody agrees that it's just, we can agree on a few things, even with atheists. And, and one of the things we would agree on is that it's just wrong. It's just wrong to torture a child for fun. I mean, I don't think you have to be any you know, particular religion, or you can be non-religious. If you're a human being, we're all going to agree. And if we don't, then you're a psychopath and you got bigger problems, mm-hmm. but we're all going to agree that it's just wrong to torture a child for fun. And so what ends up happening from a naturalistic atheistic standpoint, when you start to ask, why is that wrong? Then you start to run into some contradictions because the answer to that question says a lot. Well, you can't say it just is, because if it just is, that means that morality would be objective and not subjective. Well, the whole principle of what morality is from a non-theistic point of view is that it's not imparted from some other source. If it's it's not outside coming in, it's inside going out. Right. And that just doesn't work because that just means everything is subjective. And then you run into this whole logic to where what why is it that because here we are in 2021 we think this particular thing is wrong but you can give hypotheticals what if in the year 3085 it is okay in that culture to torture children and we can't think of it here because it doesn't fit into our culture but there's plenty of things in the past that don't that didn't fit into our current culture that everybody on the world believes and so you have this hypothetical situation to where if if you know, ISIS takes over the earth and everyone that ever believed that it was wrong to torture women is gone off the face of the earth. And the only people who live on earth are people who think it's okay to torture women or children. That's the only people that live. Well, if you ask the world, is it okay? They would say, yes, it's okay. Well, does that mean it's actually okay? And who's answering that question if nobody exists to say it's not okay? That would mean that it's still objectively wrong to torture. And so we have an objective source. And so, again, the, the intellectual atheists that I have read through my studies, I'll admit to this, I'll admit to nihilism, that if you really follow naturalism, if there is no outside moral imperative being spoken into the world, then it is just kind of something we're all making up. And it's just kind of like a fairy tale that something is just wrong or just right because there's somebody else in the world who thinks differently and there's nobody to say whose version is true. Yeah, I I found that even people that claim to be moral relativists really are not. Nietzsche was about as consistent as you could get. And as Daryl mentioned, even he ended up in an insane asylum. But at least he was able to say things like in his famous poem that God is dead he was coming to conclusions, well, if God is dead, then man's morality is dead too. So in kind of an inverse way, he was making our case for us. It's just interesting. Ideas can catch on until they're tested. As Daryl says, anybody that gives it a little bit of honest thought and starts going beneath the surface, they don't stay there. But you can go into a philosophy class 
And depending on what kind of philosophy you're hearing, you could hear it's all relative. There's no such thing as morality. We all make up our right and wrong. The students could be in there going, yeah, right on. But the minute one of them goes outside to get back on his bicycle and see somebody <laughs> swipe that, he cries out in moral indignation. I won't even yeah. repeat over the air the expletives he has. I'll yeah. talk to people who will talk out of both sides of their mouth at the same time. And we've all done it. I don't, I don't mean to be casting aspersions on them, but we can in a gentle way point it out. I'll have people tell me in one breath their problem with Christianity is this outdated morality and we're beyond right and wrong. And then they'll also tell me that their other problem with Christianity is the great hypocrisy that we've seen in the church. Now, I'm never going to argue with somebody that there hasn't been hypocrisy in the mm -hmm. church because we'll lose that argument in a heartbeat. I'll give them that. I'll say, you're right. There's been a lot yeah. of hypocrisy. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you morally outraged by religious hypocrisy? And they say yes. And I say, well, how can that be if there's no right, such thing as right. right and wrong? I was in a debate with an atheist out at Arizona State one time, and I think the moral argument is one of the best. So I'll usually start with that. There's other arguments, too, but this is the one that the idea that everybody lives as if there's a God and an atheist will swear up and down the tone. I don't live as if there's a God. I said, I know you don't think you do. You don't go to church. You don't read the Bible. You think all Christians are idiots. I understand in your mind you're not living as though you believe in God, but you're living as though your life has value. You're living as though your life has purpose. Mm -hmm. There can be no value or purpose if you don't come from some kind of God. Life is an accident. And they hate the word accident. I never said life is. They, I said, okay, but well then come up with another word. Well, they'll use randomness. They'll use evolution. They'll use nature. So these are all different ways of saying accident. That's what accident means. I'm sorry. I did not do that on purpose. It was an accident. But when you tell yourself that you have value and it's your conscience that tells you that not only do you have value, but other people have value. We've got to ask, where did that come from? So I'm in this debate at Arizona State, and my opponent is trying to get up and, and slam the moral argument. And then, of course, they love to turn to the Bible. I'll always tell an atheist opponent, you choose. Do you want to just talk about the generic God, some kind of God? Or do you want to do the God of the Bible? No matter which one they choose, and sometimes we agree to do the generic God, but they get to the Bible within the first three minutes because the truth is... A lot of them don't have a problem with any religion but Christianity. Right. A lot of them had a bad experience in the church. It's very emotional. A lot of them say, I'm not going to believe in a God who sends people to hell. And I said, okay, I can understand you not wanting to believe that. But that is an emotional argument. You don't want to believe that. That is not an academic argument. And so this opponent switches gears in the debate, and he starts talking about the evil God of the Old Testament. The God that commanded mm -hmm. wars, the God that commanded genocide, the God that commanded rape. Now, in fact, the God of the Old Testament did not command genocide. He did command wars. He did not command rape. That's a misunderstanding. But without even getting that far, I said, look, I'm not agreeing that the God of the Old Testament did all these things. But, but, but since that's your concern, you're, I'm hearing you saying right now we should not believe in the God as he's portrayed in the Old Testament because that God is evil. I said, how can that be when earlier in the debate, you made it very clear that there's no such thing as good and evil, but now you have a problem with an evil God. Right. And, and another thing people will try to do is they'll say, well, you can find different people with different morals and different values. Yeah, I don't argue that everybody has the same values. I would say value in the singular. 
what Jesus called the golden rule. Our conscience is telling us to treat other people the way we would want to be treated. And yeah, from culture to culture, that can change. There's some places in the Middle East that if you don't belch in the middle of your meal, if somebody invited you over for dinner, you're considered rude. In America, we would consider it rude if you did belch in the middle of your meal. But what do both cultures agree on? We should not be rude. We should be polite. Go back to the war in Iraq when George Bush was president. Oh, the people in Iraq think, don't think the war is just, and we have Americans that are divided. Some people say this is an evil war. Some people say this is a just war. I said, look, all those people to even argue about who's good and who's evil, that is all coming from an assumed framework of good and evil, an assumption that good and evil exists in the world. They're just arguing over which pocket it is. You can say, well, maybe the people in Iraq are not the evil ones. Maybe we're the evil ones. You can say that, but you're still assuming there's such a good thing as good and evil. And you're saying, but until we get more facts, until more information comes in and we know who's lying to us or pretending we have a just cause, we may not know who the real evil person is, but we know there's evil. We know there's good. Well, one thing also when somebody brings that up, that's all really great, by the way when somebody brings this up, why, you know, for instance, the God of the old Testament, he killed this many people. And I I am always puzzled when a naturalist or an atheist brings that up because they just, they're just importing this concept of human exceptionalism that has no basis. It's like, why suddenly are you worried about people? Yeah. No, you're coming from a standpoint to where we're all organisms. Human exceptionalism does not flow in any way, shape or form logically from naturalism. We're all organisms. And so, what if you know the roaches flourished and you know and and what if you know why are you so worried about the people dying when there are other organisms that might have very well done you know done great with these people dying they may have feasted on their remains and so as a naturalist this is an absurd question this is a very logical question why are you suddenly bringing human value into this discussion with no basis for it. why are you mad at god for taking human life but you're not mad at him for for killing bacteria in their you emotional know, reactions their freudian slips betray they are. what they right, really right, believe right because morality. if you're if you're truly if you're truly following a naturalistic naturalistic framework you wouldn't just be picking out certain organisms that have higher values than other organisms you just wouldn't and and so you know again it just got, it kind of goes to show you that everybody's kind of operating from certain properly basic beliefs that humans have value, you know, but if you listen to the smart atheist, what does Stephen Hawking say? We're all just chemical scum on a moderately sized planet. What does uh, Peter Singer say? He says the life of a uh, newborn has less value than the life of a pig, a dog, or a chimpanzee. These are intellectual atheists. They are saying what true naturalistic, versions of logic say about human value that we are less of value of a pig and so these people at least are being consistent and so when somebody comes up and they start just something out of the blue bringing up human value and using that as evidence against god it's like where are you getting this idea of human value there's really no basis for that you're kind of borrowing from my belief that does say that humans have a higher intrinsic value because they're creations of god and they're in god's image we do have a basis for that And yet you get them talking about some other subject, Daryl, and you find that they don't even really believe in those devaluations of humans. Like we were talking about Hollywood earlier, where in Hollywood today, 
it, it's considered very with it and very modern to say there's no such thing as morality. But you get them talking about Republicans or conservatives and Christians, and they'll yeah. talk as if they're the most evil people in the world. Yeah, and I don't agree with them. But again, they're showing they believe yeah. there's such a thing as good and evil. Right. There's no such thing as good and evil unless we're talking about Donald Trump. There's no such thing as good and evil <laughs> yeah, yeah. talking about conservatives. <laughs> so it, again, they don't really believe this stuff and they don't see the consistency because as you put it so well, they're not sitting down and giving it five minutes of, of thought. They're getting caught up in the euphoria of life. And that's understandable that anybody that gives us any thought, where did the conscience come from? You know, you, you, morality doesn't float around the universe like alphabet soup. You don't have these laws that are not sentient. I've heard people try to argue that. Well, maybe there's just this universal morality without God. I said, that's impossible. The conscience is a running commentary on the way personality interacts. It must come from another sentient personality. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've coined a new term listening to you guys. Uh -oh. Naturalist selection. <laughs> oh, boy. This, are we going to title this the special new glossary edition of uh, I, just, I love to do that it just my mind does that all the time so we've got at least five terms now i think we're we gonna put webster and funk and wagner well jim here. i i remember yes. i was i was preparing to to publish your podcast and i typed yeah. out paradoxology and there was a a long squiggly red line underneath the word i'm like oh okay i guess I guess that's, that's because your unsophisticated <laughs> computer wasn't able to marvel at the genius of Jim Barrier. Apparently yeah, not. Thank so we, you. That's we, what it, that, we, that must be what it was. We all need to right click and do add to dictionary. If we, As always, we, the computer is trying to help us when we're not asking help and is not always particularly mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah. Hal, open the door, Hal. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I, I, love, I love this discussion because to me, I feel like, you know, th there are a lot of different arguments for the existence of God, the, the big ones, the the Kalam cosmological or cosmological or the teleological design argument. There's the ontological argument, which is one that I'm, you know, that that's one of those that I don't know that I'll ever fully grasp. But what I feel like the... the I don't think even Anselm fully grasped. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, the, but the the axiological or moral argument for God, to me, I feel like it's something that, it's almost like it's the... It's the uh, it's the existence of God for dummies version of all of the arguments for God's existence because it's it's something that it, that is very I think it's very easily graspable like what you guys just just spent this time discussing it is just it's it's almost it's it's one of the easiest ways it seems like to prove God exists not that there aren't well, counter arguments and go ahead. Yeah, well, it, it would be, except for the fact that there's still a spiritual warfare and a spiritual blindness. And yeah, don't whenever I do apologetics yeah. classes, I tell people, don't think you're going to say this to your friends and they're suddenly going to just be bowled over. Yeah. Feather. yeah, because I can be talking to a very intelligent atheist and they are very intelligent. I start giving the moral argument and what he hears, and it's not even remotely related to what I said, what he hears is, oh, atheist so we all have to accept your Bible's morality. Well, I don't accept my Bibles. In fact, a lot of times in their opening statements, you don't have to be a Christian to have morality. I'm an atheist and I'm a moral person. I get up there and I go, I agree with you. Whether you're an atheist, whether you believe in God, you have a conscience, you have a sense of morality. But it is interesting what we can say and what they can hear. So I, yes, yeah. it, 
it yeah. should be an argument that even a child could pick up. And a lot of times children pick up things better than adults. But however, there is a blindness and I, you can get people yeah. to see it, but it may take a round or two. They, they don't necessarily fall over the minute you use this argument. Well, you know, I always say at the end of the day, it, it's going to be the Holy Spirit that does the heart changing work. Exactly. You know, there you go. Like, That's just right. like anything else, you know, we we are responsible, as Paul said, for mm -hmm. giving a defense of our faith. And I think, you know, we should be the ones who are the intellectual ones in the room. I feel like we have a responsibility to do to do the best at everything that we do as Christians, and you know, to be able to represent. I think there's there's a little bit of uh, I think there's a feeling like especially when I you know, feel like when parents talk to their children that just, they, they just, a lot of the, the, the problems I hear are the parents have told the children just have faith when they have a tough question where there's plenty of information out there for those parents. It's, it's not heavy stuff to at least be able to give their child some sort of a robust scientific answer. And sometimes it only takes one uh, to this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, when we talk to an atheist, I can, and I've said this many times, I've had many conversations where I thought they went great, that the person never got saved. And then yeah. I hear two weeks later that they encountered God at some convention, there was nobody speaking and they're saved. I've had conversations where it's been just awful and, you know, felt like I got nowhere this person, same thing, yeah. you know you realize in those instances uh, before you're, you know, you get fried or anything that it's still the Holy spirit that does the work. And he's very powerful about doing it and about being in the right place at the right time and having the set of circumstances that only God could set up. And yeah. I've seen that happen hundreds of times. I've seen that happen. And so, you know, I try to tell families who may be listening to have atheists as children or people who are walking astray, this happens all the time. We do need to be able to defend our faith. It, it helps for, the barriers that people have, intellectual barriers, we can get through those with pure logic. But at the end of the day, you know, God can meet your child or a, an atheist or a person where they're at. And, you know, people who never said, they said they would never accept this rubbish. I have yeah. seen many of those people yep. turn their lives over. Yeah, and, that, and, that's, a, that's the balance. And I, I'm glad you said that because I, I've, you know, for 52 years, been, been on this path. And, and uh, I've seen the two extremes that Christians can swing to. And the one is it's all faith and you got to pray, but, but they couldn't answer a basic question. Yeah. Um, and then the other people that get super intellectual and analytical, but they lose the spiritual power or uh, the capacity or desire to intercede and then there needs to be both i think you're, you're absolutely right on you need and there's nothing more powerful than praying okay. and i've seen it just as you i've had people that i've i learned a long time ago never write somebody off i had a guy i used to sit and debate with all the time and he was smart and he would challenge the scriptures and he had arguments he he, he had most of my christian friends just spinning in circles and uh, i would talk with him but i just you know kept praying for him and and uh, of all places he went up to berkeley california now this is in the early 70s okay and um he came back i'm at home and about two in the morning knock on my door and i open my door and here's my friend tony with a big bible under his arm and he'd gone off to berkeley and i don't know if he ran into holy hubert or whom i don't know whatever but he uh 
he became a believer. This was a guy that was just dead set against the faith mm -hmm. and something happened. And I think there had to be uh, some sort of spiritual dynamic in there along with the intellectual appeal. So, right. it, but, you know, boy, I'm just, I'm going to get all fired up here. Uh, when they were rebuilding the wall, it said they had men posted up and they had a trowel in one hand and a spear in the other. And, and the point of it being they were, they, were, they were doing the work, but they were doing the warfare. And, and it's that kind of thing. There needs to be the groundwork. God bless you guys for what you guys do and, and the hard work and the effort that you put into it. Uh, and that has to be surrounded and impacted uh, and saturated with prayer as well. And that I met Bob because our, my missionary friend said, could you put some people in the audience that will be praying for him? Now, Bob prepares his work, and he makes a great argument, but I have to think. But I give all the credit to the two guys that were in the back praying for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and well, so and we need mention, it all. We need both parts. We, we talk about the Holy Spirit. I also wanted to mention that the Holy Spirit and, and even presenting the idea of him to somebody, that it can be apologetics, too, what they sometimes call the mystical mm -hmm. apologetic. It's quicksand if it's the only one we're using. Yeah, but when you, it's yeah. done in conjunction with the academia and the archaeology and the, yeah. the manuscripts and the science, and the philosophy, right? It's a, it's a different story. And I'll tell people, I'll say, look, I can share with you facts about history and archaeology, and I could give logical arguments for the existence of God, and I can show you how God has left for you a trail of breadcrumbs. But where the rubber meets the road, the only way you're ever going to know is you are being offered. A relationship with the Spirit of God. First John, this is how we know we belong to Him by the Spirit He's given to us. And when we get back to the word faith, uh, both of you were talking about how people will ask questions of their pastor or their Christian friends, and, and they say, well, you just got to accept it by faith. I'm sorry, but to somebody who's hearing the gospel, and no matter how tactful we are, no matter how polite we are, at the end of the day, they're hearing that if, if we don't accept Jesus Christ, we're going to end up spending an eternity in hell. And who wants to spend an eternity in hell? And who wouldn't want to spend an eternity in heaven if heaven exists? So they're saying, help me out. Throw me a bone. Show me how I know this is true. And we yeah. say, oh, well, you have to just accept it by faith. Now, the word faith is used a lot in the scriptures, but it's never used the way most people yeah. use it yeah. today. People assume that when we talk about faith, we're saying, gee, I have no idea whether God exists, whether Christ exists, but hey, I know. I'll just pretend they do exist, and I'll go to church, and I'll pray. And when I die, if it turned out they did exist, God will reward me for having been so gullible and stupid. No, the men that wrote the New Testament talked about two keys. They talked about the resurrection of Christ as a historical yeah. fact. They Go check the archives of Pontius Pilate. It's there. It's a fact. And then since history and those kinds of facts, which really come under the heading of evidence and not proof, can only take us so far, after you check into some of those historical realities, then you pray and say, God, I, I need to have an encounter with you. Or in mm -hmm. some cases, in my case, the encounter came first, and then all the studying followed. But one way or the other, you can know God exists by knowing God. You can see evidence that God exists that will open your mind to knowing God. Nowhere in the Bible did they define faith as pretending God exists when you don't know. Faith assumed one was already in a relationship with God, 
and it meant obedience. Now that you are in a relationship with God, will you trust God to work in your life? That's a huge difference. And I think it's one of the first things we have to define in conversations like this. What do we mean when we use the word faith? Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I believe the word there is uh, pisca uh, that, that the Bible uses, which is not like you're saying, it is not just believing a fairy tale without any evidence. That's actually not the word that's being used, you know, in the Bible in uh, specifically in this, in the scriptures. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I think that when you look at what the apostles went out and they preached the gospel, they were preaching a historical reality. They were preaching the resurrection of Christ, right? I mean, it wasn't just believe in this thing just because we say so and because, you know, won't this make your life better and you'll be able to live your best life now. It was, no, like, you guys saw him crucified. He rose from the dead. There were hundreds of witnesses to this fact. We are witnesses to this fact. They were preaching something very concrete, very historical, and, and established in in reality, uh, not something that will just, you know, some kind of uh, this intellectual ascent that if we, you know, uh, change our brain to that direction, we'll, we'll make our lives better or something like that. Well, guys, we're, we're kind of at about uh, a little over an hour. Final thoughts on, on anything? There's some, we barely, we didn't even discuss politics tonight i think this is our first that like was, that could be a refreshing change. yeah boy especially <laughs> these days we wouldn't have all had plenty to say but it well, was kind of nice having a different topic tonight oh no absolutely. i really loved it yeah. a- absolutely uh well i just wanted to say uh thank you guys for joining us and also daryl i just want to say uh thanks for coming on crosstalk and we're excited about the show yeah well, daryl a pleasure and an honor to meet you likewise guys i really enjoyed it all right let's awesome. stay in touch yeah, yeah absolutely all right, man. Good deal. Good deal. Okay, guys. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on today's edition of Crosstalk. Head to cgmradio.com. Make sure to sign up for Daryl and Melissa's brand new show, Faith, Reason, Culture. And of course, while you're there, check out the other shows, The Bob Siegel Show, Since You Asked, and of course, cgm.news for all of the latest news from the podcast network and the most important news from the U.S. and around the world. God bless you guys. Oh, and also, if you want to email us, make sure to email us, crosstalk at cgmradio.com. And Ryan's excellent program, World News. Oh, yeah. Best oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love listening to it. You know, it's funny. I didn't even think of my own show. I didn't even like come into That's my head. You're so humble. So yeah. Well, you. you know, we we need to praise me more on the show. We haven't praised me enough already. So that, of course, <laughs> next time. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. God bless y'all. See you next time. We'll see y'all.